Welcome back to the EG Way, coming to you live and direct from EG's boardroom here in sunny Ipswich. And it is sunny. It's been pretty rotten weather uh, all week uh, where you are, but here in Ipswich it's fantastic. That's why you should move your business here. Um, I, I, we might use that, we might not. I'll try it again. Uh, hello and welcome back to the EG Way podcast. The first one of January, so it's a big Happy New Year from us at EG. Happy, Happy New, New Year! Year. And we are starting off the year as we mean to go on talking about DevOps. DevOps, yes, it's probably the biggest thing that's happening in the world of software that you've heard of or perhaps you haven't heard of it. Um, It's certainly transforming the way people make software, the way that software integrates with business and the way that coding will continue to drive digital transformation across all different areas of the business world. And joining us today to talk about this, we have consultant Tim Nash. Hello. And with him, we've got CEO and co-founder, Chris Pont. Good morning. John Nicholson, CTO and Chris's co-founder. Good morning. And also resident DevOps guru, uh, along with Tim. Uh, Can I say guru? No. No. It's not true, that's why. You should look at the other three in the room for that one. (laughs) That, of course, is the voice of reason, Alan Jackson, (laughs) Chief Operating Officer. Hello. And I'm Andrew Walker. I'm a freelance writer. And normally at this point, I would make some sort of lame joke about coming here for the coffee. But the truth of the matter is, is that I'm passionate about new technologies and new ways of doing things. And also biscuits. Let's not forget the biscuits. And the tumbleweeds, clearly. So... <laughs> You have a January challenge here at EG, don't you? Which is you've got to do, as a company, 2,020 minutes of exercise of, a week. Yeah, yeah. You say as a company, but it's really Chris has to do 2,020 <laughs> minutes. I think my Strava score is looking all right right now, but um, it, it can still do with some improvement. Okay, there we go. So Chris is on Strava. If you mail EG <laughs> or... Send us a DM on the Twitter ID, that's at EG Limited. We'll give you Chris's Strava ID, and you can race someone. Let's see if he's as agile as he makes out. Pretty agile. (laughs) (laughs) So, we are talking about DevOps, and um, to start, can I get a definition of what DevOps actually is? Because you hear a lot of acronyms. Uh, don't you? The, I've heard DevOps. I've heard DesOps as a new one. We can maybe talk about that a bit later on. DevSecOps. DevSecOps. Is that really? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah, and SecOps. Okay, SecOpsOps. Oh, I don't know. I'm sort of coining that one. MarketingOps. Uh, MarketingOps. That would be MarkOps. MarkOps. I suppose. Uh, okay. Is there one we can do with a Psy? So it could, it could be Cyclops? Is that a, you know, I suppose that, that'll be a... Psychology. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Psychops. Wow. Psyops is something else, isn't it? Isn't that some kind of CIA secret service sort of thing? Okay, fine. So, rowing it back now. Um, from, please don't write in. Rowing it back. Um, John, you were the first person I heard talking about DevOps. Um, what's your definition of DevOps? I'm, I'm actually not going to give uh, my own personal one. I'm a, I really like a definition that's been used by one of the chief architects and head of DevOps over at Microsoft. So Donovan Brown coined it in this way. DevOps is a union of people, process, and products to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users. 
Um, it's really useful. It's, it's very specific as well, you'll notice. It talks about people, process, and products, the union of those three things, but it talks about value, not software. And we're not talking about systems or software in this definition. We're talking about things that give direct value to the end user, to the internal business user. And essentially, we're talking about something that aligns to the business's goals, not necessarily to IT's goals. Okay, so is that does that mean DevOps sits in the, the realm of process engineering, not software engineering? In many ways, yes. Uh, it, it's very much around a a process that we you can take things through it the the biggest part of devops often is about aligning departments to the business's fundamental goals we've had years of management consultants doing this with every other department and it has been left in a backwater where it's very much cost centric and cost focused instead of being focused on what generates the sale the transformational uh, companies out there learned this lesson early on and uh, have uh, driven their sales through uh, aligning their IT departments with this. Tim, what's DevOps for you? I think for me, it's uh, a lot about culture, uh, bringing together sort of two two different, well, at least two different teams, uh, and having a kind of shared responsibility of delivering that business value. Uh, often, uh, particularly in large companies, uh, there can be a lot of siloing, and things are effectively kind of thrown over the wall from from uh, development into operations, and uh, that that really doesn't help uh, deliver that value. Uh, often teams don't don't talk to each other. There's a lot of finger pointing when things go wrong, rather than sort of taking ownership as a, a whole team. Okay, so there's taking ownership. There's this union of people, process, and product. Chris, what's DevOps for you? Um, I think it is that focus on delivering value it's, it's making sure that everyone's working towards a common goal and I think um, you know DevOps is often misinterpreted or misused within the industry so um, people try and silo it into a specific job role in, into a specific person or, or they consider it just automation of infrastructure um, whereas you know it, it really is about taking on the whole team and making sure they are all driven towards um, a common goal of delivering value as, as quickly as often as possible to the customer. So we're getting in, we're getting down into the the real shape of it here, Alan. What's your take on DevOps as a, an operation as the ops part? Of yeah, that? so to actually um, deliver software using it, the the um, I think Tim sort of really encapsulated what what I would say about it and probably said it better as usual. Um, so it's it's about that sort of collective responsibility. So when you're resourcing a team that's using DevOps processes, you're you're looking for people that have the um, the sort of will to take on what would traditional traditionally be parts of multiple different roles. So people that are prepared to not only um, write the software and write great quality software, um, but also um, take on the sort of the tooling and processes that allow them to um, deliver that software regularly and quickly and reliably into a good standard to the user so that they um, 
so they deliver value early. So it's about taking ownership, the staff taking ownership of the end-to-end and not just the build and lob it over the wall to someone else who's responsible for the next bit, but ownership of it end-to-end right through to delivery to the client. And they've got to have that will and they've got to want to be involved across the board. So it's a you know specific type of person we have to hire for that. Um, I think, and then going on to that, you know, EG particularly, the guys then have to support their own work as well. So it's not just... Um, not just the development, not just the infrastructure and the deployment out to prod and then walk away. They then have to live it afterwards. Um, so they're on call um, 24-7, some of the guys um, supporting the work. So there's quite a large incentive there for that to work properly, unless they like their on-call payments and don't care about sleep. But um, they have a big incentive to make sure the, the quality of the product is high and it's doing what the customer wants. Okay, so we're, we're kind of getting a, a framework around what DevOps is now. But doesn't that kind of ask another question, which is, what was wrong with the old way of doing things? Because, you know, it has worked pretty well up to now, hasn't it? So the old way, we talked about ownership um, before. Within IT organizations specifically, there were normally two distinct teams working. We had an operations team. They were charged with keeping the lights on it, no matter what the cost. Everything had to be running no matter what. Now, the traditional way of managing that was to not allow change. Control the change as much as you can and restrict it as much as possible. Um, and then you had the development or the new product teams, depending on how they organized. And this was all about what's new and shiny, what's the business asking for, how can we get this going, what, what can we get out there? And being blunt, in many organizations, there was direct conflict between these teams. And that's where this over-the-wall mentality came from. Because as soon as the uh, delivery team was finished, they would throw it at the operations team, who would often know nothing about what was coming. And they'd be expected to keep the lights on on this. Okay, so to put a sort of example around that, I've been involved in companies that have deployed entire new sort of end-to-end purchasing project management systems. And... The software is very impressive, but the number of tickets, the support tickets it raises as, you know, the, the people who are working remotely suddenly become, they wake up one day, they have a new system, and suddenly they're saying, hold on a second, what's happened to my old purchase number generator? And, you know, why can't I sign off this invoice the way I used to with a checkbox or, or, or whatever it was? That's that's the tension between the new system uh, that's that's coming out of the dev side and the supporting users and making sure everything keeps running from the the op side, right? Yeah, I think um, yeah, the traditional way of releasing was to have one big bang release, you know, every every six months, nine months, twelve months, whatever. Um, and I think nowadays people expect features to be rolled out incrementally, and it means that the the extent of that change is is much smaller. They're just gradually getting new features. Um, drip to them every, every every couple of weeks if possible um, but what that does mean is that there needs to be that that relationship between the development team and the operations team so that they can handle those releases as often as possible it, it, it does mean that the the change is less risky though it's not one huge change that, that that just happens in one go I think with your example what you were describing was a relationship between IT and the user base um, I think what John was describing is, is a relationship within IT itself between the guys who produce the software and then the guys who have to live with it and maintain the servers and keep the lights on on behalf of the users so 
the conflict the conflict is in within IT as a traditional department and that's what you can try to break down and the inevitable thing I mean if you imagine being the ops guy and then the developers come along with something new shiny chuck it over the wall say look after that mate and then you have to deal with it what would you do as a team as an ops team you would put paperwork in place you would put run books and um, long meetings about how you're going to absorb this thing you would put long lead times on change in order to assure that your team's got the right resourcing and processes and capabilities to take on this new new asset um, and that all all that does is put um, barriers between the business um, realizing the value realizing their return on investment and realizing the value um, that they're trying to deliver through the software so you're just putting IT itself through the traditional processes putting um, bottlenecks and blockers in the way of the business and that's what you want to try and avoid and the business does as John said the biz- businesses over the o- over many years have stopped doing this in every other place in their business um, except an IT kind of got left behind a bit you know it was seen as a cost center so DevOps as a process, is supposed to break down those barriers. And as Chris, building what Chris said, it, it, one of the ways it does that is by incrementally um, changing things in small increments. So not big change. Lots and lots and lots of little changes, which are easy to understand. They're much less complex. And they have much less impact on the end on the um, end piece of software if there is a problem. Um, so, you know, you you'd kind of just de-risk the pipeline by actually changing more often, which is counterintuitive because traditionally... They were de-risking the pipeline by changing less often. Um, but that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, and, and essentially, the more you practice change, the better you get at it. So if you can do lots of, of small changes rather than uh, fewer big changes, then uh, you, know, you, you can de-risk your deliveries. Yeah, in line with that. I mean, it's a fairly common rule. All systems suffer entropy. Um, the common way of maintaining stability was to not change but it's a fallacy. It's based on a, a false assumption. We have to change to maintain position. Um, by making those changes smaller, by de-risking them, you make change part of your business as usual, and it makes it more comfortable for the business, not just for IT. If the business is accepting of change and understanding how it's going to occur, they embrace it more. You get far less opposition, and bluntly, they'll expect more as well. I've heard this amazing statistic um, that comes out of big Silicon Valley players. So Amazon, we've got, uh, they release new code, is it every 11.7 seconds or something like that. And we've got Netflix are releasing something like, is it a thousand times a week or something? There's, there's a, 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 an incremental fix. And we seem to hear it a lot. Google as well uh, have this sort of DevOps approach. Um Tim, I want to ask you, as a consultant, how do you get the idea across to people who haven't moved over into the DevOps world yet that you could be releasing new code every you know minute, which would be quite slow compared with Amazon. You'd be releasing new code every minute, and that isn't going to uh, you know send everyone into a, a sort of a, a panic because it sounds like quite a major thing to do. Well, the, the examples you've described uh, are kind of uh, very large-scale organizations, and so they've got very large and complex systems. Uh, so by making small changes uh, to different parts of the system, that they're able to, to change and adapt uh, very quickly. 
obviously not not all companies are going to do new deployments every every ten seconds, but by uh, by building your system so that they are scalable, it does allow you to to grow. If we think of the traditional sense of how a software would be developed, uh, you might find a, a bug in your system. You then deploy a fix for that, uh, and instead of immediately deploying that into your your production environment, uh, you would uh, gather up all those bugs into a software release, and there would be a, a big kind of release cycle that would happen in in a big bang, and you'd have a lot of change. Uh, and so the potential for things to go wrong is a lot higher. Uh, in, a, in a kind of DevOps environment, uh, you would do that small change. You would push that small change through your different environments, so your QA, your, uh, your user acceptance testing environments. And then once it had passed user acceptance testing, it would go straight into that production environment and would be live for your customers. So by splitting things up into much smaller chunks, uh, you're, you're isolating that change. Uh, which if for any reason it might have gone wrong uh, uh, once it got through your environment you could quickly reverse it because you know just what you've changed. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially it's about addressing risk. So um, it's making sure that you can, you can automate, you can automate those deployments, but also automate the testing and the governance side of things um, to, to satisfy the business that the, the code that you're releasing is, is going to be acceptable. It's, it's going to work the way it should. It's not going to cause problems with uh, finance or payment or, or any regulatory issues. It's making sure that you, know, you can work with the business to, to address those risks using some kind of automation so that you can release at speed. And it's also delivering value to the customer a lot sooner because rather than gathering everything up uh, and then releasing it in a big chunk, as soon as you've, you've done that release, uh, well, you, you've made that code change, whether it's a, a bug fix or a new feature you're adding, uh, that's moved down the pipeline into production much sooner rather than being sort of held off. Yeah, an example of the uh, way this change can be used, um, if we look at um, standard practices for testing designs like A-B testing, or canary-based deployment. So A-B testing, we're going to release two different versions of a UI to prove which one gets the better traction. The differences in those UI may be very small. When we talk about the scope of change, it could be the size of the Buy Now button, if we take an Amazon example, or the position of it. But they'll measure the impact of that on their sales to decide which route they go. When we talk about canary deployments, they'll measure it on a 5% of their customer base. They'll then increase it so 10% are seeing it, and 20%. So by reducing the scale of the releases and the scale of the change, it enables new strategies for the business to look at how they handle their marketing, their sales approach, and what they're doing. It doesn't just have to be large-scale um, logic-based changes in the system. And, and it does mean that when, when you roll out code, you don't have to roll it out to everyone. So when you're rolling out code to a customer base the size of Amazon, you might only roll it out, as, as John said, to 5% of the customers and just check it, make sure it works, monitor it, make sure it, it's, it's, it's behaving itself. Uh, and, and if it is acceptable, then roll it out to everyone. It's the kind of thing, we see this a lot, I know with uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, there's a lot of talk about the fact that um, if, if you follow them in the news, there will be some complaint that, oh, look, this new coin has emerged, but they're only trading it for customers in the US at the moment. Uh, and you think, well, hang on a second, it's international. It's not like there's a regulatory reasons why you, you can't buy that particular cryptocurrency here in the UK. But, you know, uh, exchanges will roll it out in very specific 
areas first. Presumably, that's a, a DevOps approach. I think the DevOps approach enables them to um, to test things like that. Like traditionally, you wouldn't be able to if you use the traditional method. The test cycle would be months, if not years, long for you to find out whether three of you know which of four options is working best for you. If you can test with DevOps, you could test something for a day, an hour, or you know potentially in Amazon's example, a matter of minutes, and then turn it off again. And you know you think about Amazon, if their their throughput is millions and millions of hits, you know a minute or whatever they they go through, they could do a lot of testing in a minute. You know, so the, them being able able to do this allows their business to to just be so dynamic and so responsive and um, boil their decision-making, not only their IT risk, but boil their decision-making risk down to minute components. So they're not making, they're not being forced to make wholesale decisions on the look of a page because they won't be able to change it again for six months. They can literally, you know, increase the size of the button by 10 pixels corner to corner and see if that makes a difference because they've got that ability to reverse it so quickly or try something new. Yeah, and that does really highlight the the monitoring side of, of, of DevOps because you know that that's really important. You want to make sure that you're able to see the impact of your changes, and that that means that potentially you're going to have a lot more monitoring, a lot more logging in place to enable teams to see um, you know the impact of those changes. Is it affecting the number of customers? Is it affecting our conversion rates, or is it just causing errors in in the code? So do, you know, do we need to roll that back or, or roll out a new fix to to sort that issue out? Yeah, in line with that, it is very much worth highlighting that DevOps is an empirical process. This isn't a a touchy-feely, um, guru-led process. It's about measuring and seeing the impact and understanding what's going on. Now, those measurements happen multiple places. Chris was giving some really good examples around business-level measurements that can be done, but you also take the measurements all the way back to when the first line of code is being written and measure the process from here through deployment, uh, measure at each workstation, because what one of the big changes that it brings is we treat the journey from code being written through to being deployed into production as a production line like you would in a manufacturing business. So you're able to measure and optimize at each stage and understand what causes complications, what causes errors, what causes delays, and then remove them over time. Yeah, and continuous improvement is is a big part of this. So we're always looking at ways in which we can improve things uh, all the way through the process. Uh, but we, we've talked quite a lot about deployment, but uh, it's very much part of the development process as well and looking at work, how it, how it travels through uh, the, the kind of pipeline, uh, through kind of developments, uh, QA, etc. Uh, we're always looking at... at uh, what's happening and using measurements not just kind of this touchy-feely or this doesn't feel right it's okay what evidence have we got for this how can we measure that now we're going to have to break it there because this is almost too awesome for one podcast um, and so uh, we're going to tie it up and come back in the next podcast to talk about automation and also how do you transform your organization to leverage the advantages of a, a way of DevOps working and that kind of process design. So we're going to uh, just wrap it up and say a very big thank you to Alan Jackson, CIO. Uh, you're welcome. And this is, by the way, in no particular order. Uh, that, I didn't yeah, mean, it is. Come on. Yeah, I didn't mean that to sound, sound bad, Alan. I'm sorry about that. And to Tim Nash, consultant. 
Thank you. Tim's going to be joining us next week for the next inciting instalment of automation and cultural change for DevOps. It's funny, it sounded more exciting in my head when I said it than it, it, it did then. Just please come back for the next podcast, uh, because on that podcast we will have uh, CEO and co-founder Chris Pont. Thanks very much. And CTO and co-founder John Nicholson. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening uh, to this episode of the EG Way. Join us online at uh, eg.com. Find us on Twitter, EG Limited. Now, at this point, we're going to wave at the camera, which makes no sense. Hey! Makes no sense at all on a podcast. We did just wave. If you want to see the proof that this actually happened and that we're not all just AIs, uh, come and find us on Twitter and say hi. And we will see you next time for part two of DevOps on the EG way. Thank you. Bye. Woo! We're all waving now too. That's so ironic. <laughs>